You are entering the Freedom Hut. Is socialism really a threat to America? Well, there are rising stars in the Democratic Party who are open advocates of socialism. How do we fight back against this nonsense? Plus, the president is standing firm on his demand for funding for a wall. He is going down to the border tomorrow. We will talk about where this debate stands and how it's likely to end. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. When people hear the word socialism, Mm -hmm. they think Soviet Union, Cuba, Mm -hmm. Venezuela. Is that what you have in mind? Of course not. Well, we have in mind, uh, and what of my and my policies most closely re- resemble what we see in the UK, in Norway, in Finland, in Sweden. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Socialism in America, my friends, it is very much ascendant. There you had uh, progressive. Superstar Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez getting the celebrity treatment from uh, Anderson Cooper on 60 Minutes. Uh, This is a woman who has not been a part of a a single major legislative bill, who does not have an idea that has not been said by many Democrats before her, including recently people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. There's very little that separates her from them. It's just she's young and telegenic, and Latina, and they are very excited about the prospect of uh, what she will mean for the Democratic Party going forward. And she did, in fairness, manage to beat a about as entrenched a machine politician as one could find uh, with Crowley in, in that Queens race in New York City. But this interview was very interesting because it's a, a preview of what I think is going to be the, the central debate of the 2020 election about, and about the direction of this country. I, I don't think the Democrats are hiding this anymore. They may try to soften the tone a little bit. They may you know, stick to things like democratic socialism. They'll, they'll talk about how you know, we're, we're not going to be Venezuela. We'll, we'll be more like Sweden. You know, they're they're going to have ways of making it sound less scary because most Americans still think socialism. Wait, hasn't there been a a pretty well-established and long history of socialism's failures stretching back for a hundred years or so in the West and in the world? Isn't that a well-established historical fact now? Um, This is also where we have to be very careful because the history and the math are not enough to win the fight. People win political arguments based on emotion all the time. It's actually what Democrats excel at doing. They're not winning the immigration argument based on what it does for the economy and for security and for rule of law. They, up to this point, have been getting their way on immigration because they claim to care so much about the poor, to claim so much about non-American people of color, And they want to help people and be kind. Those of us who want a secure border are mean, are heartless, are cruel. That's an emotional argument. 
And it has been a very powerful one, as you know, because it has carried the day for a long time. The Democrats and the left have been getting their way on immigration for 30 years. Well, some would say for more like 60 years now, but uh, almost in unrestricted fashion for 30 years. Uh, I mean, since since Reagan's attempt to secure the border and the amnesty he gave, which was a mistake, it was it was a mistake. Reagan admitted this. We got the amnesty. We did not get the security, which is why when the Gang of Eight came along with their, oh, look at our comprehensive immigration reform, some of us knew it was a trap, knew what was going to happen. Those of us who know history, just like those of us who understand at a basic level, I mean, I'm not an economist, uh, but those of us who understand economics and, and math in, in just a, a rudimentary way will tell you that what Ocasio-Cortez is talking about with taxes and free this and free that is completely and utterly fanciful. It is unsustainable. It could not be the case. Even if we wanted it to be the case, it could not be the case. Uh, she received a lot of attention for saying that the uh, the top tax rate would be something like, uh, you know, 70%. And that would only be, of course, on a graduated income scale. So some of your dollars would be, ta- you know, the, it's the same way it is now. It's a progressive income tax, right? Even if you pay the top marginal rate, which I think is 37 or 39%, whatever it is, I don't make it. Um, that's not for all of your income. That's for a portion of your income. The problem she runs into is that there's simply not enough soaking of the rich you can do to pay for things like universal health care. There, there's not enough money to pay for things like free college for everyone. And what costs would the uh, the broader economy incur when it comes to things like uh, creativity, research and development, entrepreneurship? The economic engine of this country is based on self-interest. We already have a lot of redistributive mechanisms that we've come to largely accept. Uh, let's note that we are not a pure free market economy. One of the things, not at all. One of the things that we need to reckon with more, I think, as conservatives is, you know, why, you know, we, we're all pretty set on Medicare and Social Security. These are good programs. Let's keep them. You know, we, we've now, I just spoke to a guy today about the farm bill, which is hundreds of billions of dollars and is spending about $50 billion a year on food stamps, which they no longer call food stamps. They call the, uh, they call nutrition and I had to stop this guy for a second. Well, hold on a second. What do you mean you're spending fifty billion a year on fifty billion a year on nutrition, like nutritional advice? What does that mean? Oh no, the supplemental nutrition uh, nutritional assistance program, SNAP is the acronym, which is just a rebranding of food stamps. So we're spending fifty billion dollars a year on food stamps. We have a lot of big government programs already in place. Some people argue that in cer- certain ways we are less free market than Sweden and Denmark. Uh, we are less of a uh, of a business friendly climate than some of those countries in terms of their regulation. What we envy so much, or rather, what Democrats and socialists in this country envy so much about our European cousins, is that they have very large welfare states and very high taxes. 
The problem with the Ocasio-Cortez approach, and it's also the Bernie Sanders approach and the Warren approach, and, and it is now you're going to have a candidate who is for a Green New Deal, which no one's even really clear on what that means. Other than, it's it's going to be the hope and change of 2020, the Green New Deal. It's, it's hope and change 2020. Uh, you're going to have a candidate who is for Medicare for all, which is uh, single payer. Um, you're, you're going to have, it's actually in some ways, it's a little different than single payer. I mean, Medicare, um, Medicare for all would, would include people paying some of their own costs. Medicare has, there's cost sharing involved in it, but they're going to skip over that. They just want the government to pay for all of it, but that's where the democratic party is heading. And, and my caution, and one of the reasons why I'm not sitting here going, yeah, like, so I'm sitting with Anderson Cooper and like, we just need like free stuff and like whatever and doing all that. And sometimes, look, I like to have a little fun too. And Ocasio-Cortez can be fun to, uh, can be fun to joke around about some of the very foolish things that she says. Uh, you know, she doesn't strike me as a nasty person. I mean, she's obviously uh, telegenic and her little dance video was cute and the whole thing. You know, I, I don't I don't come on radio as a hateful, angry person because I'm not a hateful and angry person. I just disagree with her on policy. And I, well, I know she's wrong on policy. But here's what I am trying to tell you. Here's what really matters. History tells us she's wrong. Human nature tells us she's and when I say she, it's a stand in for where the Democratic Party's going. Democratic socialism in America is a bad idea. It will not work. It will make us poorer. It will not. Uh, and we are such an engine for the rest of the economy, too, for the global economy. And our military provides so much protection for much of the rest of the world. Our Navy keeps the blue water, uh, our blue water Navy keeps the oceans open, keeps the still most of the commerce that occurs in the world in terms of shipping happens on the oceans. And that's possible in large part because of our blue water Navy. So, I mean, you know, our, our European cousins also get a, a lot of a lot of free riding going on off of what we are doing in this country. So if we go in their direction, well, what does that mean for them? But I'm telling you that even with the arguments lined up of history, of science, of uh, math, emotion can still win. Emotion can still triumph. And they have a they have a moment in time here where there there is a sense and Trump tapped into it. So we know it's there on the right. There is a sense that people's expectations in this country are not being met for their ability to achieve their dreams, for their ability to find purpose, to find security, uh, you know, financially. And with financial security comes the security that you have in your day to day life, a kind of dare I say, social security, but not the big government program. Uh, th- there is something missing here. We're, we're all aware of it. There's a sense of, uh, there, there's a hole in the American psyche right now. And what is it going to be filled with? Trump came along and said, look, there is a problem here. And that got a lot of people thinking about the government, thinking about their country differently. And Trump also, you never hear it talked about this way, had a message that was inspirational for many people in the country, which is we're going to make this place great. But essentially, American excellence is making a comeback. American achievement will be valued and rewarded. Now, that's that's a very compelling message. But along the way, people are being told a different message. 
Democrats are telling them a different message every day. And that message is uh, male dominance, patriarchy, white privilege, uh, structural racism, uh, you know, Republican Party controlled by big oil and special interests. They're keeping you down. They're the reason that anyone who is frustrated with their circumstances and their situation are not able to achieve more. And instead of telling people to take more ownership over their lives, to take more ownership over their ability to succeed, the message they're being fed by the Democrat Party is we will give you these things because you are owed them because the other people, that's you and me, the other people, the Republicans, the conservatives, they're the ones who are keeping you from having these things. They're the ones who are preventing you from having the health care you want, sending your children to the schools they want to go to, having the kind of wages, having the kind of pay for work that you deserve. It is not a, you know, it, it is not dire poverty that tends to lead to uh, revolutions and revolutionary politics in well-off societies. It's unmet expectations. That's what is truly combustible. You know, the founding fathers, they weren't starving to death in the streets. They were not getting a fair deal. And their expectations for how they were to be governed and how they were to, how they felt they should be able to conduct themselves and their businesses were not being met. Unmet expectations are a combustible thing in politics and the Democratic Party is trying to capitalize on them now. They are laying the groundwork. And if we think that just saying, oh, it's too expensive, this is in Sweden, look at Venezuela, it's such a disaster, and Ocasio-Cortez doesn't really know anything, that doesn't mean we're going to win. People like to be told that somebody else is responsible for their disappointments in life. People like to be told that they are not just going to be given things, but they are owed the things they will be given. They are owed free college. They are owed free housing. They're owed a guaranteed job, which Democrats are now openly talking about. If you want a real chill to run down your spine, go and read the Soviet Constitution. Soviet Union said that the people of the Soviet Union were owed all kinds of things, owed housing, owed food, owed vacation, owed a job. They didn't have any of those things because ultimately the state's ability to provide them wasn't there. And the state ultimately wasn't really interested in providing them. We'll get more into this because this this fight over socialism in America right now is a fight over the future of this country, which really does mean it is a fight over the the future of the world economy. We'll be right back. The American people are going to realize how important it is to have a Republican president and a Republican Senate, because what we're going to have to do is protect the country from these uh, radical progressives, socialists in the Democrat Party who want to raise taxes again on corporations, which makes us uncompetitive with the world. They want to raise individual taxes and they really want the government to own everything. They want the government involved in every sector of the economy. They're just getting started. So we're going to be very, very lucky that the Republican Senate and the Republican president will stop you know, the country from slipping and sliding towards socialism. 
Just like I was saying last week, Senator Rand Paul gets it. The biggest advertising for the Republicans is going to be the Democrats. I mean, when you see these hearings and and all of the hubbub they're going to create around what are just just bad ideas, are just honestly and truly bad ideas, ideas that don't take into account uh, what we have learned about how human beings interact with each other economically, what it means to put the government in charge of more and more of the country. You see, the government's already in charge of too much, in my opinion. The government is already too large. The government spends too much. The answer is not to do more of the things that we know are already problematic. But it's difficult to fight back against this leftist Democrat industrial complex, such as it is, because they've just got some, like, general ideas, man. Play 11. How are you going to pay for all of this? No one asks how we're going to pay for this space force. No one asks how we paid for a $2 trillion tax cut. We only ask how we pay for it on issues of housing, health care, and education. How do we pay for it? With the same exact mechanisms that we pay for military increases, for the Space Force, for all of these uh, ambitious policies. Does she not know? And, and I mean that honestly. She might not know that the biggest problems in our deficit right now are already the spending that we do on health care, the spending that we do on education, the spending that we do on these issues. That that's that's already a massive issue. And so the answer is to just make it even worse, to spend even more money that you don't have. Astonishing. Um, but look, her her ignorance is not going to be her undoing. I'm if you haven't heard it from anyone else, you're hearing it from me. She is appealing. She has a night, you know, they like her, her background and her story. You know, just think about what they were able to do to accomplish with Obama based on how he presented and what his background was eight years as president. She's too young to run for president, but she is taking the Democrat left message national. I really understood the frustration that working people had across the political spectrum. You know, when anybody is saying the economy is going great, uh, we are at record levels, there's a frustration that says, well, the economy is good for who? I mean, unemployment is at record lows. I don't think that that tells the whole story. When you can't provide for your kids working a full-time job, working two full-time jobs, when you can't have health care that is not a that is not dignified telling stories that get people to feel that connection with those that they assume must be struggling terribly i mean working two full-time jobs no health care this is it certainly sounds like there's a uh, something of an economic emergency in this country meanwhile the, the the numbers that we have to work with don't really tell that tale but remember this is about laying the groundwork for greater government control of your lives. And if they can emotionally convince people that this is necessary, then the realities of the numbers, whether we're talking about the unemployment number, wages, uh, you name it, GDP growth, the reality of the numbers will fade into the background. You saw this with the Obama administration. They always had an excuse for why the numbers weren't what they were supposed to be. Uh, there was an excuse. It was Obama's 
uh, best intentions that, if nothing else, were a, a fallback. But most authoritarian schemes that we see in the uh, in the Western world these days, you know, most authoritarian tend to be benevolent. Uh, it's what you could call authoritarian high modernism, which is an academic way of saying central planning running stuff for you based upon science and knowledge and the smart people making the decisions for all of us. But this has led to some very bad things. Here's a, a quote that's really stuck with me from Zygmunt Bauman. Um, and he wrote the following, Modern science, which has displaced and replaced God, removed the obstacle of limits on freedom. It also created a vacancy, the office of the supreme legislator and manager of the designer and administrator of the world order. That was now horrifyingly empty. It had to be filled or else the emptiness of the throne was throughout the modern era a standing and tempting invitation to visionaries and adventurers. The dream of an all-embracing order and harmony remained as vivid as ever, and it seemed now closer than ever, more than ever within human reach. It was now up to mortal earthlings to bring it about and to secure its ascendancy. See, the people that want to run your life, they think that they are doing you a favor. The people who want to control what you can have as private property and what kind of commerce you can engage in and how you seek to pursue your own uh, happiness, whether you are looking for a relatively quiet and simple life or you want to be some kind of billionaire superstar. Those people, they don't think of themselves as bad. The democratic socialists who want you to pay incredibly high taxes and deal with rationing at not just hospitals, but at any healthcare provider, and who think that you shouldn't have any choice in where your children go to school. You should go wherever the state thinks they should go, and you should pay whatever the state decides is, quote, fair, based upon a committee of experts. They, they all think they're doing you a favor. They're not embracing the notion of themselves as tyrants out for their own gain. You know, they're, they're not approaching this from the, from the pure Soviet model of, you know, the Central Committee lives in, in a completely different social and economic ecosystem in the rest of the country, they think they're doing you a favor. Warren, Sanders, Ocasio-Cortez, Nancy Pelosi, they're, they're all in on this now. Higher taxes, redistribute the wealth, more government control, more government power. They believe they are making a better America and that they are so smart, or at least they're relying on people who are so smart that they can't get it wrong. Unfortunately, history is filled, and I mean recent history, is filled with the uh, festering carcasses of central planning gone awry. Uh, history has shown us that when you decide to put expertise above individual rights, and yes, individual self-interest, it leads to calamity. And we do not live in a, in a perfect uh, free and fair market right now. There's no question about it. We already have too much government intrusion. 
But the answer is not to make our problems even worse. And that's the direction we are going to be heading in now. Just as in many ways Trump was something of of a corrective for the excesses, the progressive excesses of Obamaism, we are heading toward a left-wing correction of Trumpism that could be so profound the country economically, politically, and who knows how else will never truly recover from it. That's the scope of what we face right now, and it's why we have to win this argument. I'll be back with uh, talk on immigration, the wall, the shutdown, Trump's big plan speech, and also masculinity is now being uh, talked about as as toxic. That's that's going to be a, real, a subject that I'm looking forward to diving in with all of you now. I mean, they're 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 not saying toxic masculinity, just masculine masculinity in general now. And then a, a story, since the left is so fond of anecdotes, in the third hour, I've got a story for you about a a uh, young woman who was in a pretty standard accident where you got to go to the ER, got to fix a broken arm. And the bill that she got and the reason for it is staggering. And we should all be aware of it because it's a glimpse into what the healthcare future in this country, based on social justice, is going to be. And we are increasingly getting pushed toward it. So we have a, a show covering all kinds of angles. Stay right with me. I'll be back. We have a crisis at the border of drugs, of human beings being trafficked all over the world. They're coming through. And we have a, an absolute crisis and of criminals and gang members coming through. It is national security. It's a national emergency. He's saying it's a national emergency. He's saying that he's, uh, he's, he's teeing it up, folks. You know, tr- Trump is scheduled right now to give a an address tomorrow, uh, an address tomorrow on TV, I think at 9 Eastern, so right when this show finishes, uh, Trump is going to be on air, and he is uh, he's going to address the American people and make the case for how, one, I mean, the, the Democrats aren't, aren't intransigent or aren't unwilling to negotiate because of what is sensible, what is the border. They're just, no, they don't want to do it. No, they're just refusing. They're refusing because it it would mean that a border wall would be built. And if a border wall is built and it works even partially, then we will know the Democrats have been lying this whole time about how walls do not work. That much will be clear. And beyond that, uh, President Trump will have kept his most central promise to his base. So that's incredibly powerful stuff. And everyone's already thinking about 2020. Uh, everyone's talking about who the Dem candidates are. By the way, the Dem bench, you know, just, just to, if I can take a, a little step aside here from it, the Democrat bench, you look at the people they're, they're putting out there as, as serious candidates. You know, say what you will about the Republican uh, primary that Trump managed to just, just crush everybody else in. Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, uh, Ben Carson, Carly Fiorina, these are all serious people. Uh, you know, they obviously everyone has their flaws and all the rest of it, and I'm not saying they're even great politicians, but they're all serious people. You know, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Cory Booker, uh, Beto O'Rourke. These these are not serious people. I, I don't know. I, I just 
This is the bench. This is who's being talked about. Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden. Really? You think that, that that's who is, is going to be the standard bearer? That these are the people they're putting forward? So I do think that there's a lot of insecurity around that. And that, that's why there's such a, a sense of all or nothing with preventing tr- uh, Trump from getting his border wall promise. Because if he manages to keep that promise, I just think that he'll he'll be unbeatable. And they're unwilling to cede that to him. But the more the president's out there making the case, this is what Republicans always failed to do in the past. The more he is out there making the case, the better the likelihood is that there will be a cave from the other side. Why, I ask you this, why do we always have to assume that our side, the Republicans, will be the ones who give in? Why can't it be the Democrats who give in once on this issue? Uh, and and this is a test of wills, and it's a it's a PR battle. I have to love how on uh, where is it on um, Politico, a left wing site that claims to just be about politics. They have a piece up about the the you know the Trump propaganda battle that's going on right now. You mean speaking publicly about an issue of great national importance and doing so in in a way that is representative of of the right that's compelling. Trump's going to be at the border. I mean, he understands the optics of this. This is why this guy is, in so many ways, Lib's worst nightmare. The establishment, the consensus, it's all been, oh, he can't fight this out. He, he can't stay and, and try to, uh, to get the border wall. He's going, to, he's going to have to give up. He's going to have to move on past this because Republicans always lose. Meanwhile, Trump is saying, no, no, no. I'm going to go down to the border. I'm going to give a speech at the border, and we're really going to focus the attention of the American people on this. And that is powerful. The only thing that is is supposed to determine which way this situation goes is the the decisions made by those in power who are listening to the American people. That's it. So it's it's a public perception issue. And if the public decides that a border wall is worthwhile because they hear Trump, they listen to the case, and at the end of the day, they have a recognition of how essential, how much of a uh, of a benefit it would it would bring to our border patrol agents and what it would do for this country. I mean, to finally think about how it could finally take the heat off of our immigration and our assimilation process, which assimilation is really a cultural thing, right? We don't have a yeah, we have some immigration systems in place that try to bring people, you know, more fully into the American family. And, you know, you take the uh, citizenship tests and those kinds of things. But I'm talking about our cultural assimilation, right? Having bring people in this country and and having them join us as Americans. That process is being both overwhelmed and undermined by this flood of illegals. And Trump is just saying enough is enough. It would be a very different. Uh, it would be a very different place if we all of a sudden could. Or we'd we'd be in a different place if we could determine what the immigration levels would be. Skills based immigration would be uh, primary. I mean, we we haven't had that. We haven't had that in in decades. In decades, uh, I'm glad to see that there's some out there who, you know, are not backing down on this one. Um, you know, it's it's just so easy to try to, you know, skew a little bit toward the center on this one. Um, 
Oh, by the way, Trump is saying it's going to be steel. It's going to be a steel wall. Play clip two. They don't like concrete, so we'll give them steel. Steel is fine. Steel is actually, steel is actually more expensive than concrete, but it'll look beautiful and it's very strong. It's actually stronger. There's such a focus. There was such a focus, at least this morning, I was seeing in some of the newspapers on, is it a wall? Is it a barrier? Is it steel? Is it slats? Is it, this is all nonsense. I mean, these are all time wasters that are being posed as important distinctions in this whole process. You know what really matters? What really matters is what would this do for the country? Uh, and, and how much money would we save over the long run? Never mind also the lives that would be saved. Uh, the, the, the lives that would not be shattered because of our open borders immigration policy or, you know, whatever we call it. People say, oh, it's not open borders. Look at our massive border patrol. Okay, but currently if you show up at the border and say that somebody was, uh, somebody was mean to you in Honduras, you, you get to stay in the country and, and plead your case. And people say, oh, Buck, no, it's not that. Their lives are in jeopardy. Not everybody in these caravans. Let's not all pretend that we're a bunch of idiots. Not everybody in the caravans that have been showing up, uh, the tens of thousands of families have had an imminent threat against their lives from a gang, okay? Honduras is a country that has some rough stuff going on, no doubt. But if, if, if these people are qualifying for asylum, then that means the whole country of Honduras would have to qualify for asylum. This is a scam, it's a scam, and it's one that it is a long past time for us to end. And, and tr Trump understands that the border, this is an issue of security. It is in the national security realm. Play clip eight. No, we won't be opening until it's uh, solved. We think this is a much bigger problem. The border is a much more dangerous problem. It's a much bigger problem. It's a problem of national security. It's a problem of terrorists. You know, I talk about human traffickers. I talk about drugs. I talk about gangs. But a lot of people don't say we have terrorists coming through the southern border because they find that's probably the easiest place to come through. They drive right in and they make a left. Not going to happen. We will uh, address more of this issue of whether terrorists cross the border. That we'll do that in the next hour. This got this got contentious uh, with Sarah Huckabee Sanders and actually a host over at Fox. So I will get into some more of the specifics there. I, I think we'll hold Syria for maybe tomorrow because I want to talk to you later on in the show about toxic masculinity and how it is now being taught as a medical principle that that uh, people in the psychiatry psychology field are supposed to treat masculine virtues as uh, masculine vices, really. And uh, so that that will be coming up. And then I've, uh, I've got a, a few thoughts to share on. I'll, I'll keep it shorter than Golden Globes. Usually whenever I talk about how, yeah, okay, these, these elite Hollywood celebs are out of touch and full of themselves and their award show stinks and all that. You guys already know all that stuff. So I'll keep it. We got other things. We got more important things to talk about than that. More important issues to focus in on. Uh, so we have that and much more coming up in uh, the rest of the show. You know what's smart? Kicking off 2019 by planning out which roles your business needs to hire for. You know what else is smart? Starting the new year off strong by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck so you can hire the right people. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience and actively invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. 
That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a thousand reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. If you love this show, show your support by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Again, one more time, to get the best candidates for your job in any business, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. It's the smartest way to hire. We are all affected by the shutdown. We have skin in the game. However, it comes down to border security. And we are extremely grateful to President Trump. And we fully support what he is doing to take care of our nation's borders, to take care of the future of this United States. It has nothing to do with political parties. You all got to ask yourself this question. If I come to your home, do you want me to knock on the front door or do you want me to climb through that window? I just want to talk about some of those criminals that Border Patrol agents apprehend on a daily basis. We're talking about murderers, rapists, uh, people that commit very serious crimes in this country. ICE has been doing an amazing job in deporting a lot of these people back to their countries. Unfortunately, once we deport these people, these people will not stay in their country. These criminal aliens that have been released from jail, that have been deported, will come right back into the United States. However, if we had a physical barrier, if we had a wall, we would be able to stop that. These are Border Patrol agents who are saying that they they want a wall. And as I've told you in the past, Border Patrol is about a third Latino. So here you have uh, an organization with a lot of Latino American representation, a law enforcement agency that's trying to do the very critical job of securing our border. And yet we are told time and again that. No one thinks a wall will work. A wall won't work. Uh, The whole wall thing is nonsense. Why don't Republicans figure out that nobody wants a wall and all this? I mean, it's just lies. That's why there's this desperation, because you're being lied to about this all the time. And I know as you think about this, you're also well aware of how effective a wall would be. You just think about it in your head. You think about where we have walls on the border. I know I've been making the case here on this show, but... It bears repeating. But, you know, the wall is not the only place where you hear Democrats constantly lying to you about what's really happening when it comes to immigration, about what the costs are of this. You know, you you think about how much time and money is spent uh, on the census and, and how much the government goes through efforts. I mean, a very basic government function is to find ways to count and assess the people that live within its borders. We don't have good numbers on illegal aliens in this country. Full stop. We don't. Anyone who tells you otherwise does not know what the heck they're talking about. They base it on Pew survey data, on on voluntary surveys. That's how you think you're going to find out about people breaking the law illegally in this country. You know, what if we did a survey about, hey, how many of you are wanted felons? And we put out a you know survey data on that. Do you think we get really accurate information on that? I don't think so. The truth is the government doesn't really want to know because the data would not support this idea that there is nothing but upside from immigration and that anyone who has even the slightest concern about immigration is anything other than some vile quasi neo-nazi you know racist scum right which is really the underlying uh, the, the the underlying message you get from the democrats when it comes to republicans on immigration all the time you know, in that 60 Minutes interview with Ocasio-Cortez, you know, oh, oh, yeah, Trump is definitely a racist. You know, this is standard 
operating slander procedure for the Democrats. But as I was saying, it's not just the the wall where they're lying and what they say does not make any sense. Uh, Here's Governor Jerry Brown. Now, now I, I think I spoke last week about Corporal Singh. Now, Corporal Singh was, he was a, a Samoan legal. God bless you, Corporal Singh, and your, and your family. Thank you for coming into the country respectfully and legally. Honored to have you and certainly honored to have somebody of the stature and courage of, of Corporal Singh keeping our streets safe. Uh, but, you know, Corporal Singh was, was murdered by an illegal who was also a criminal who had been arrested many times for criminal activity in the United States and somehow was never handed over to Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and ICE wanted to deport him. But even though he, this guy would get arrested, he never would, you know, the, the phone. all it takes is a phone call. They would not call ICE. They would not help arrange for his deportation because, you know, California, man, this is how they do things out there. Well, Governor Jerry Brown uh, is feeling a little a little testy about the whole sanctuary city situation. And here's what he said, play 18. That bill was very far-reaching, and I trimmed it way back uh, against the author and against a lot of uh, the Democrats there. I, I cut it way back. They're not doing all that much. Yes, they're, they're arresting a lot of people that, that maybe they shouldn't, uh, but they're letting hundreds of thousands of people uh, go unhindered, uh, either because uh, they're, uh, they're not staffed properly or they, they just aren't up for it. So I think people now are looking to blame somebody. Uh, because of the terrible things that happened, but had nothing to do with the law of California. And going forward, there's a great ability of the Immigration Service to work with our law enforcement uh, authorities if they take the effort and they uh, create the protocols to work together. That's a lie. He's just lying. I mean, there's the governor of California lying. He's not going to get four Pinocchios in the Washington Post or anything else, but, but the law of California is explicitly and clearly hostile to federal enforcement of immigration law. It's not even that it's not helpful. It is hostile. California state law, when it comes to immigration and customs enforcement, is is essentially an extended finger from the middle of one's hand. That is it. You can be criminally prosecuted as a private citizen, as a business owner, if you do too much to help Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. Where else do you see that kind of thing happening? Think about that. You know, uh, this is the equivalent of passing a bad Samaritan law. California, when it comes to immigration, wants bad Samaritans. They want people who don't want to help law enforcement, don't want to help what is right, what is legal. They want people who help aid and abet illegality, lawlessness. We've got to hold these people to account, um, you know, and that, now there's this whole back and forth as well on on the uh, on the border and, and terrorists at the border. Here's, you know, because I want to take these issue by issue. We got the wall. We got sanctuary cities. Now we've got terrorist infiltration uh, at the at the southern border. Is that happening? Yay or nay? Uh, Chris Wallace of Fox News. You know, son of the other famous Wallace on TV. So there's that. Uh, he 
he said the following to Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Play 19. And the State Department says that there is, quote, their words, no credible evidence of any terrorists coming across the border from Mexico. We know that roughly nearly 4,000 known or suspected terrorists come into our country illegally. And we know that our most vulnerable point of entry wait, is wait, at wait, our wait, southern wait, border. I know the statistic. I didn't know yeah. if you were going to use it, but I studied up on this. Do you know where those 4,000 people come or where they're captured? Airports. Not always. But uh, airports. Certainly, certainly a the large State number. Department says there hasn't been any terrorists certainly that they found coming across the southern border. It's by air, it's by land, and it's by sea. It's all of the above. But one thing that you're forgetting is that the most vulnerable point of entry that we have into this country is our southern border, and we have to protect it. And the more and but more that they're not coming across the southern border, Sarah. They're coming and they're being stopped they're at airports. They're coming a number of ways. They're certainly, I'm not disagreeing with you that they're coming through airports. I'm saying that they come by air, by land, and by sea. And the more and more that our border becomes vulnerable and the less and less that we spend time and money protecting it, the more that we're going to have an influx, not just of terrorists, but of human traffickers, drug inflow, and people that are coming here to do American citizens harm. See, this is I, I will I'm going to be honest with you, and, and then we will run into a, a, a quick break. and I'll come back with Thomas Homan's response on this one. I I don't like the focus on terrorists crossing the border in this argument. I think it's I think it's weak. That's not to say that terrorists couldn't cross at our southern border. What it is to say is that if you are an Al Qaeda or a Hezbollah operative, uh, there are more effective ways to get into the United States than trying to cross at the southern border. Uh, for example, you know, flying into Canada and crossing at the northern border would make a whole lot more sense in those situations, right? If you, so if you're coming from abroad, it, the reason we got so many Mexicans and Central Americans crossing is because they're there. They live next door. If you're someone who's traveling here from Syria, from the Middle East, from wherever, uh, if you can fly to Mexico, you can fly to Canada I, I don't think it's a particularly efficient way of getting here. That said, and also if you try to cross the southern border, there's a good chance you're going to get caught. The problem we have at the border is that a lot of people that are currently showing up at the border, even the ones that are caught trying to cross illegally, are abusing this loophole of asylum. Right. So, you know, the, the, the truth is that if you're going to come to the border and you're going to come in illegally, the best way to do it, or rather if you're going to abuse the system, is not to just try to sneak in like some super spy, you know, some super spy from Al Qaeda. It would be to come in as a family unit and pay somebody even to just say, this is my wife, these are my children, we're fleeing violence in Honduras, and, you know, pretend you speak a little Espanol and see if you can get through that first screening because you're going to get released in the interior of the United States. And you know you'll be released in the interior of the United States. But it's not a particularly efficient way to infiltrate terrorists into the country. There are easier, better ways to do it. And if you're talking about an operative who's been trained, you know, you probably don't want that person getting caught uh, at the border. That said, uh, let's come back in a moment to what Tom Homan says, who was the, for, who was the former Immigration and Customs Enforcement director, uh, about terrorists at the border and whether or not Sarah Huckabee Sanders was wrong there. Stay with me. I would say, Nancy Pelosi, you need to love your country a little more than you hate this president. I mean, you got your number one responsibility is to protect the Americans and secure our border. We have already shown how a wall, a wall, a barrier can be effective. So put politics aside. Look, this is all politics. They don't want this president to have a win on the border. 
But what they don't understand is the president wins on this border issue. America wins. America is more secure. Less drugs get across. Less guns get across. Less illegal immigration. And despite what I've seen this weekend on, on media, terrorists do come across that southern border. I detained them as a nice director. It has happened. And, and, and many more come. We have, we have a relationship with the Panamanian government. We stopped literally hundreds of special interest aliens, some with known suspected ties to terrorism in Panama that were attempting to get to Mexico to our southern border. It has happened. My biggest concern is it ain't so much how many terrorists have been arrested entering the country illegally, how many, did, how many got through? How many did Border Patrol not catch? That's what America should be thinking about. So, I mean, there you got a, a, an actual expert and not just someone who's mouthing off about about the border and saying, look, I, I actually detained terrorists. And as I was saying, I, I b- believe that that has happened, too. I just think the much more important argument right now is the drug trafficking, the drugs that are coming to the country. They're killing tens of thousands of Americans every year. The human trafficking, the terrible misery and enslavement that goes on. Uh, at the border and for those that are brought in this country illegally, what ends up happening to them and the sexual exploitation, particularly of women and young girls as they're trying to get across the border. And then the burden on communities and what illegality just does to this country and what it does to the rule of law and our political fabric. That's where the argument really is for me. Yeah, terrorism is also a, a possible concern, but I don't even I don't think that that's what we should be focusing our energy on. Because um, I think that there, if you look at most of the terrorist attacks we've had in this country, uh, they've been people who were radicalized here in the United States. And if you're going to come into this country, unless you have a background that's going to set off alarms, if you're going to con- conduct a terrorist attack, you're probably going to fly here. And there are easier ways to get into the country. I'm just saying, I'm trying to you know, think this one through with you. Um, and, and then, you know, you've got, you know, one other, one other thing I wanted to point out here is this, this possibility of a national emergency being declared here in order to, uh, to get the wall built. And, and I know that there's a lot of, a lot of people are very upset about this prospect and we're going to hear about how Trump is a dictator and Trump is evil and all that sort of stuff. You know, that, you know, that's all coming as a result of even Trump bringing up the possibility that he would use uh, the power of the executive branch to build a wall. I think that this is where this is going to head. The the best case scenario, uh, as I see it, would be the president getting some additional funds for the border in general, and the Democrats will say it's, you know, it's uh, there are limitations on that funding. And then he's probably going to have to say, OK, well, I'm going to uh, I'm going to take my power as the commander in chief and just start building a wall. And then it goes into the courts and we probably find out if the president gets his way in the election year. And that would be an enormous victory for him politically if he did get the Supreme Court to back him up on it. I think he does have the authority to do it. And certainly the White House is saying they do. Play clip 20. The president is prepared to do what it takes to protect our borders, to protect the people of this country. He knows that the number one job he has as president and commander in chief is to protect its citizens. 
Does he really think that, that he has the authority to build the wall with funds that were appropriated for the military construction without congressional approval? As we've said for the last several weeks, we're looking and exploring every option available that the president has. Um, and is that a viable he, option? Whatever action he takes will certainly be lawful, and we're looking at every option we can. This is something the president takes incredibly seriously, is very passionate about, and is not going to stop until he figures out the best way to make sure we're doing everything we can to make America safer and more secure. I, I think it sounds like the president's going to go for it. I think it's a very good chance that, you know, he decides that en- enough is enough. And, you know, to end this shutdown, you know, the shutdown is to end the shutdown. He'll probably take some kind of a some kind of a bargaining chip from the Democrats. Democrats seem to think that they just have all the all the high ground here. I'm not so sure about that. Meaning that Trump is, as I've said all along here, he's the X factor in this whole scenario. The president's ability to go out there and make his case to the American people about why a uh, a border wall would be so helpful, why a border wall is necessary for our security, that's what's different now from what existed in the past. That's what we've never had before. We've never had a president who was in a position or who was willing, never mind in a position, to take on the meeting narrative. It had, up until this point, I think we're on the second longest shutdown ever right now already. Uh, up to this point, it had been that the assumption built into any shutdown was Republicans will get blamed. And now you see, well, hold on a second. Why are Democrats so intransigent? If it really is just about this one point of funding for the border wall, who are the American people really with? Why do the Democrats assume they have some kind of mandate to protect or to prevent Trump from getting this issue done for the American people? Play, Steve Scalise gets this. Play clip five. The president has shown he's willing to sit down and talk and try to reach an agreement. Uh, I know our teams have been meeting all throughout the weekend to try to find some common ground. If Democrats really want to work with us to get the government back open again. They've also got to recognize that border security is at the heart of this. Border security is at the heart of this. And just because President Trump is for something does not mean, Democrats, it's a bad idea. They they love to think that. They love to pretend that that's the case. But it is not true. It is just simply not true. Uh, the border wall would help. And it is a good idea. It is a worthy expenditure of our tax dollars. And Trump is not looking like he's going to back off on this. So I'm pleased to say that so far, the uh, the, G- the GOP, really Trump, has been willing to stay in this fight and stay all the way, which is is somewhat reassuring. It's not over yet. He certainly hasn't won. But at least they didn't. At least Trump didn't just cave on this which, as you know, I was going to be uh, very unhappy about. When your son looks at you and says, Mama, look, you won, bullies don't win. And I said, baby, they don't, because we're going to go in there and we're going to impeach the I stand by impeaching the president of the United States. I ran on that. Obviously, you know, I am a member of Congress and things that I say is elevated on the national level. And I understand that uh, very clearly. President of the United States is my focus. The residents back home are my focus. President Trump has met his match. Rashida Tlaib, who 
last week called the President of the United States an MF-er, uh, says that she totally stands by the, the, the principle or the, the idea she was espousing. And yeah, she knows that her words can be a big deal, but that's just a, what that is. That's a non-apology apology, folks. He has, he has no interest whatsoever. No interest in uh, stepping back from what was one of the ugliest things said in public by a sitting member of Congress I've, I've ever heard. And keep in mind that if any Republican member of Congress had said that about President Obama, I don't care how new the person was. I don't care you know, what the what the context of their feelings in the moment were or whatever, if any Republican member of Congress had said that during Obama's time in office, they would have been hounded, hectored, and threatened until that person resigned. Not apologized, resigned. And this is part of why we know that we, we just, we cannot trust, uh, we cannot trust the media to be Fair. I mean, I know it's all. It's almost hard to say. I can't trust the media to be fair arbiters in this. No, of course not. It's it's utterly preposterous. But you know, she also provided a, I think, a worthwhile service in that we know that the Democrats are going to try and impeach the president. I mean, they're going to impeach him. The House is going to do impeachment, and I think enough Democrats will go along with it that the articles of impeachment will go through, and you'll have an impeached president who is not removed from office. I mean, it's a joke that he'll ever get through the Senate. Uh, and we'll have to see if that taints him enough that they can hoodwink the American people into letting, you know, Kamala Harris or Biden at the reins. You know, I'm going to tell you something. Biden, uh, Biden is not the candidate that a lot of, Dem- you know, people forget, uh, you know, that Biden was really a third tier, a third tier guy in the presidential race. Um, and, you know, Biden was a candidate who was, I mean, back before he, he obviously was Obama's running mate, you know, he was somebody who was in the, in the conversation alongside such, uh, leading lights as, uh, Kucinich. Um, and then you have another issue here for Biden, I would note if the impeachment comes up and that is. You know, there is this story out there, and I don't know if it is verified. I have heard it, and it has been it has been printed. It's printed here in the New York Post. Um, but the, there's a story that the widow of Joe Biden's son, Bo Biden, um, is now romantically involved with Hunter Biden, the former vice president's younger son. Uh that is not something that I think the, if that is true, that is not something that the American people, I think, will uh, will look kindly on. And also, I think that the, um, I think that they want to avoid that story getting hashed out in the media. And I will just leave, I will leave it at that for now. Uh, I, I just think that Biden is a much weaker candidate than people realize for, for many Many reasons. Um, anyway, that all said, they are really planning to go uh, hard and heavy after President uh, after President Trump with this whole lunatic impeachment proceeding, and it's all going to be based on the you know the end of the Mueller probe, and 
you know, I mean, I think Mueller, I actually had a guy on today on Rising who's been, uh, who's on the Star investigation back in the day. He thinks it's going to go for all of 2019. The Mueller probe's not even close to done. I think he's right. I think people think it's about to wrap up or way overestimating the speed and the pressure that Mueller feels on all this to get it done quickly. Um, I mean, he here's here's what Adam Schiff had to say about about Mueller. This give you, I mean, Schiff is he's a truly what's that fun word we like to say oleaginous. He's oily. There's just something very uh, obviously dis. I don't know dishonest, un untakeable. It's just not. He's not a good guy. Here's what Schiff says about Mueller. Play seven. We hope uh, as one of our first acts to make the transcripts of our witnesses fully available to special counsel for any purpose, including uh, the bringing of perjury charges if necessary against any of the witnesses, but also to see the evidence that they contain and help flesh out the picture for the special counsel. You know, they're going to just take it upon themselves to make this a whole political fight. And the problem with the Mueller probe from the beginning is that it's always been political. So really that the the work that the House will be doing isn't even a handoff. It's a it, it's a kind of a, a cooperative effort with Mueller because this is all a get Trump operation and it's political. It's not when it comes to the president, it's not really criminal. I mean, there's no one there's no one I know who can who credibly asserts that President Trump himself uh, had anything to do with collusion or Russia. I mean, people that still say that are just living in a fantasy. They're not. They're not reasonable. They're not able to be reached by uh, logic. And so it's really it's really difficult to to talk to them about these issues because they're obviously living off in some other far, far, far away place. Um, but I do think that Schiff and these others are going to drag us all through uh, Mueller part two, in a sense, right? There's going to be all these hearings and and they're going to do everything they can to make the news cycle about Trump's shady associates and we'll talk more about Michael Cohen the good thing is that this stuff is boring it's not going to be able to hold the attention of normal Americans very much and so that's where I think that there's there's going to be greater challenges than a lot of the Democrats realize it's just not that interesting to hear them talk about how you know Papadopoulos lied under oath or General Flynn lied under oath like this this is not a we, we've been through this already and there's nothing more for them to do. They've already gotten as many process crimes as they can uh, gin up here. They've, they've already gotten as many people nailed on technicalities and low-level stuff. And, and we know that this is all just about creating some kind of a, an, an impeachment dossier, if you will. And Republicans are going to fight back on it. I don't know how effectively, but, you know, Peter King, he's going to be, I'm sure he's going to be frisky on this. Play six. I think it's wrong, really wrong, to be casually using a word like impeachment. I mean, you're talking about undoing a national election, a presidential election, which really is the ultimate in democracy. That election, that, that four-year uh, election is the most important thing we do as American citizens. To undo that because some people don't like someone is wrong. Yep. We do not have recalls for presidents. This is the Democrat. This whole Mueller probe is really a Democrat's effort at a at a recall election, at, at trying to undo what was done. And and it's, I think, really pulling the country apart in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I think it's uh, done probably irreparable 
damage to our politics for for a long time to come because people realize that this is um you know this is not about just opposing someone's ideas i mean they want payback and i don't think it's limited to just trump i think they want payback against trump supporters too which means that you know get ready for what they're going to try to pull once they start having these hearings and the congress gets going it's it is going to be nasty Jimmy Carter never had a Supreme Court vacancy to fill, but there is an existing vacancy, and then President Trump will, will fill it. Then perhaps Congress will do some work. One of the reasons why the court hasn't had as many petitions as usual is that there hasn't been any legislative activity. So that's Ruth Bader Ginsburg there. Um, and you you may have heard. I mean, this this is much a much bigger news item in most liberal circles than it is among well the general public. I mean, if you're a far lefty, this is uh, something of a of a panic moment. But RBG, as she is known, and there's something of a of a, a cult around this particular Supreme Court justice. Uh, there is a a not just a, a reverence, but a an almost media obsession with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, She missed oral arguments for the first time in over 25 years as she is uh, recuperating from cancer surgery. Uh, First things first, anybody who's recuperating from cancer surgery uh, deserves our, you know, uh, yes, that's right, thoughts and prayers. I mean, deserves our our well wishes. And as, as decent human beings, we put human decency ahead of, the the political speculation and all the rest of it that that uh, can often be involved in the Supreme Court situations of a possible vacancy, right? So first and foremost is you know speedy recovery for Justice Ginsburg, but the the panic that you see from a lot of liberals around this Ginsburg health uh, concern, which is very real, obviously rec- re- recovering from lung cancer. I mean this is. Uh, a, a very, very serious uh, period of time for for a woman who is 85 years old. You know, she's 85 and and she's dealing with very, very serious health issues. And you know what, what I what I think we're we're heading to, um, you know, is this this position where if Ginsburg is really not physically able to do the job. You may have liberals, and again, I, I don't, I'm not saying even that if she is, you know, he- heaven forbid, if you know, if her time comes. I just mean if she is too sick to really be able to to hold the role of a Supreme Court justice. There's going to be immense pressure on her and and people running around in the overall legal system who are going to be saying, "Well, she has to stay." And and we'll find a way to make we'll, we'll find a way to make this work, uh, you know. Essentially, she will be a Supreme Court justice who is working through other people to keep that seat liberal. Is really what this is. So even if she's unable to do the job, and therefore, as Kennedy did, should step down from the job because Trump is president. Uh, as long as uh, Justice Ginsburg. You know, as long as she is still alive, 
does not matter what her health condition is, I think you will see a a push to keep her in this role, which is which on the one hand just goes to show you that there's this there's a weird fixation on on Ginsburg in particular from the left. Uh, they have a movie coming out, and you know they've I know they do this a lot in Hollywood, but you know they've cast some stunningly beautiful British actress to play Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And, uh, you know, and it's all about how she's brilliant and beautiful and perfect and wonderful and overcame all this sexism and everything else. You know, meanwhile, I think she was chief counsel at one point for the ACLU. Right. So if you want to talk about somebody who's very it was very political before she took the job. I mean, you might as well you might as well hire somebody from MoveOn.org to be the which is one of the most detestable organizations uh, in in the country uh, to be a Supreme Court justice. And. You know, this. there's also all this stuff about her workout routines. We have to televise them. It's an 85-year-old woman. We have to watch her doing planks, really? The answer is yes. They they do these, you know, CNN will do these clips and, oh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But they're turning her into a folk hero, and they have been doing it for a while because they're going to need a unified and very emotional front to prop her up until at least they have a shot of a... Democrat uh, taking office because I don't think that, you know, I, John Roberts is not a is not a uh, a real conservative vote on the court. I mean, John Roberts is an institutionalist. He he puts the Supreme Court as a body above constitutional principles. And so I don't think that, you know, when they keep saying, oh, it's going to be it's going to be five, four now because of Kavanaugh. It's really a 4-4 four, four plus one situation again. And Roberts is the swing vote. And he's maybe a little more conservative than Kennedy, but not that much more conservative. But if Ginsburg were not still in that role and Trump were able to, and I, I'm almost sure for obvious reasons, and given what happened last time, it would be um, a woman. But if, you know, they would nominate a woman and people have already been talking about, you know, Amy Coney Barrett is the most likely candidate that people talk about, then you would have a solid conservative majority on the court. And, you know, liberals right now, there are very few liberals that can even remember a time when, especially on on social issues and on many of the issues that have really been the most, um, you know, the most emotional for, for progressives, they haven't known that at the end of the day they're going to get their way at the Supreme Court. And you stretch back in time, and you know, you, you try to think of the conservative victories at the court. What are the, I mean, yeah, DCV Heller, but that's a very limited, all the DCV Heller said is essentially you can't entirely invalidate the Second Amendment and ban guns in private ownership. That's really what it says. There's still a ton of undecided, you know, our assault, our, can assault rifles, which is not really a term I know, but you know, can semi-automatic rifles under state or, or federal law be banned just because they look scary? You know, there's all these other things. But the panic that you will see from liberals over the prospect of the loss of Ruth Bader Ginsburg is going to be a sight to behold. I mean, this is a person, this is a a uh, a figure now in the left that they view as an, an essential part of, of really the, the progressive identity of the Democratic Party in this country. I mean, they, they think that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is one of the the shining lights of the transformational Democrat socialist left. And that means that if she goes, and let's just assume that means she steps aside to go 
you know, write her memoirs or something. But if she no longer holds office, uh, this country will be plunged into a fight that will even outdo Kavanaugh in terms of its ferocity, which I don't know what that will look like or how that will sound. I just know that it's going to get really ugly and it might even be in the election year. So get ready for that. The left loves to whine. Oh, man, they need trigger warnings. They're worried about toxic masculinity. They need safe spaces. Why would anybody be such a big whiner? Maybe they just need some delicious Black Rifle coffee. I got an idea. I think that would probably settle them down a bit, right? Black Rifle coffee is certainly how I get my day started, and it always puts me in a good mood because it's delicious, and it gets me fired up to tackle all of life's challenges. Black Rifle Coffee is roast to order, and it's guaranteed fresh and delivered to your door. Plus, Black Rifle is a veteran-owned company, and they give a portion of their sales to veteran and first responder causes. Nothing cures a bad attitude quite like starting your day with the most American coffee ever, Black Rifle Coffee. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck and receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. Again, BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. The American Psychological Association is, just like the American Bar Association, dominated by libs and liberalism. Uh, I've told you this, I think, before, but when they break down by specialty, the most conservative versus the most liberal MDs, the most conservative MDs are surgeons, in fact. Surgeons tend to be the most conservative, the most liberal medical practitioners with MDs out there are overwhelmingly psychiatrists. Psychiatrists shrinks are a bunch of commies, not all of them, a lot of them. And the American Psychological Association is left leaning to say the least. But this report that I saw that just came out today in their uh, their January edition here. Uh, so this is sort of a, a trade publication for the APA. But, you know, the APA is, if you're in the psychological treatment and analysis field, I, I guess it's kind of a big deal. The APA has released its guidelines for the first time ever to help psychologists work with men and boys. This is from the report. Quote, at first blush, this may seem unnecessary. For decades, psycho uh, psychology focused on men. As of 2018, 95% of chief operating officers at Fortune 500 companies were men. According to a 2017 analysis, in 16 of the top companies, 80% of all high-ranking executives were male. Uh, meanwhile, in the 115th Congress, which began in 2017, 81% of congressmen were male. But something is amiss for men. Uh, men commit 90% of homicides in the United States and represent 77% of the homicide victims. They're the most, demo, uh, most at-risk demographic group when it comes to violent crime. They are 3.5 times more likely than women to die by suicide, and their life expectancy is 4.9 years shorter. This piece has the headline, Research finds that traditional masculinity is on the whole harmful. That's right, my friends, toxic masculinity, a term popularized by progressive left-wing activists uh, for 
ultra feminists who really have a a deep hostility to men uh that term of toxic masculinity has now transitioned if you'll pardon the phrase transitioned into uh, official medical guidance we are being told now that men being men is in fact a bad thing that men who take the approach here i can even tell you what the the traits are you might be saying well buck how do they define masculinity do they define masculinity as you know violence and rape culture and and bad things like that well no they they define tradition uh, they define and remember this is a, a a medical a national medical journal that's putting out guides for all psychologists now to deal with men and boys to essentially tell them or to find ways to work with them such that they will not uh, fi- be more hyper-masculine or, or more traditionally masculine. The way that they define masculinity is, by, is through, quote, uh, stoicism, competitiveness, dominance, and aggression, which this the APA research finds is on the whole harmful and researchers led by a phd at boston college found the more men conform to masculine norms the more likely they were to consider as normal risky behaviors such as heavy drinking using tobacco and avoiding vegetables <laughs> that's actually in this john did you know that if you're hyper masculine you might avoid vegetables so I really i know this the reason, the reason that I, I push the green beans around on my plate instead of eating them is because I've just got too much testosterone, yo. Because a lift, bro. Eat more soy. Eat those, actually, as, as, yeah, as everybody, uh, as everybody who, who actually works out, unlike me these days, knows, you want to eat cruciferous vegetables, and it's very important for you. But nonetheless, but they say that you, you avoid vegetables and you drink heavily if you're hypermasculine. Uh, so being a man is now, you know, being a man is now bad. Or rather, being a man who has traditionally masculine traits is now bad. Now, I have so many thoughts here. I mean, for one, I, I can almost, you know, f- feel the estrogen rising in me as I read through this. You know, I feel myself just like, ooh, I don't want to be too masculine as I read through this. Uh, this is really toxic stuff for society. Because the truth is, these masculine traits of competitiveness, dominance, aggression, these are civilization movers over time. You know, the reason that many of us, yeah, we cooperate and we, we are kind to each other, we abide by the laws. But one of the main reasons that we get up out of bed in the morning, I mean, the reason that I get out of bed and do different jobs and, you know, don't weigh 2,000 pounds and just sit around eating, you know, massive mountains of Doritos with sour cream dip all day, which sounds kind of amazing as I say it out loud, is because I, I would like to try to achieve and I would like to uh, you know, have a, a female mate and I'd like to have a family and be able to support the family. But you know, competitiveness, dominance, aggression, these are all traits that you need to have to be out there and to go hunt essentially. And men are hardwired to think that way and to be that way. It's not just it's not just cultural. In fact, the cultural aspect of it is is pretty small. 
it's much more about the biology of who we are. I mean, testosterone and estrogen and the levels thereof are very important uh, indicators for temperament, for behavior. And that you have a medical journal here that's pretending like the science doesn't really matter, it's all sociology, just goes to show you how much the left is corrupting science all the time in the name of social justice. And now toxic masculinity is being treated as almost a condition that must be treated. Or masculinity in general is a condition that must be treated. Meanwhile, you know, we've got to teach our boys to be boys so they can grow up to be men who are actually men. And if we lose that as a society, you know, heaven help us when the, uh, when the, when the big war comes because it's not too far off. All right, we got more coming, team. Stay with me. Global Verification Network, the only dual-certified and veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company out there. Look, it's the new year, and I know that you're going to be hiring for your business, whether you're a huge company or a small startup, an entrepreneurial venture. You've got to have the background checks done on your people. And if you already have a company or someone you work with who does those background checks, you should just give Global Verification Network a call. These guys are the best in the business. They are absolutely trustworthy, discreet, and efficient. And they have headquarters in Chicago and offices throughout the nation. So whatever your needs, they can help you cover them. So for all the HR folks and business owners out there, for your background checks in 2019, Call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. Or go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com. This is something of a rarity on the Buck Sexton Show. I have a story to bring to you from vox.com. You may be saying, Buck, what the heck is Vox? And if you're saying that, I would tell you that's that's completely fine. It is not something you should feel the need to read. It is it is the closest thing that I know of to woke.com, as in left-wing progressive woke politics. Uh, they do a lot of these Vox-splainers where they tell young progressives who don't want to actually have to do much in the way of heavy lifting and reading to think a certain way about a certain thing and, and provide them with facts that support that narrative while pretending like the other side has no facts, has no narrative, and it's just a bunch of big, mean, misogynist racists. But I thought this was very interesting because we're, we're talking about uh, socialism and obviously healthcare and socialism in the context of our political discussion go right together. And, you know, you hear people always speaking anecdotally about Oh, I know people that love their Obamacare plan. Meanwhile, I know people that say their Obamacare plan is terrible. Um, and I mean, I can tell you that, you know, I would say right now I have a, a few different choices of health care plan because I have a few different employers. And uh, I, I am very not uh, pleased with uh, with the health care situation that I have right now. So I can tell you that much. Uh, and I, I've gone without health. I was I was somebody in my twenties who went without health care for a while and had a couple of incidents. And so I, you know, I've I've been through the I've been through the mix on this. You know, I I know what it's like to be in that office when you're like, oh my gosh, I really can't afford this. And then you realize I don't take your insurance, but you also realize you don't want to be sick anymore. So I've dealt with this at, at many different levels. Um, but I can tell you. So so here's here's what it uh, the, this piece on Vox. Here's what it says. All right, on April third. 
Nina Dang, 24, found herself in a position like so many San Francisco bike riders on the pavement with a broken arm. A bystander saw her fall and called an ambulance. She was semi-lucid for that ride, awake, but unable to answer basic questions about where she lived. Paramedics took her to the emergency room at Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, where doctors x-rayed her arm and took a CT scan of her brain and spine. She left her with her arm in a splint on pain medication and with a recommendation to follow up with an orthopedist. A few months later, Dang got a bill for $24,774.50. Blue Cross, her health insurer, would only cover $3,830.79 of that, an amount that it thought was fair for the services provided. That left Dang with $20,243.71 to pay, which the hospital threatened to send to collections in mid-December. Now, there's a very important reason I'm telling you this story. Or rather, there's one big, big takeaway that is, in fact, buried in this piece. See, Vox is telling you, because there's a left-wing site, they're telling you this story because, they, you know, it's another horror story of, oh, these big, mean hospitals that have this bizarre... And by the way, hospitals do have bizarre billing practices. And they, they do, but but there's there are reasons for it. And I want to get... I want to get to the reason for it. Uh, but Vox sees this as corporate hospital greed meets a need for Medicare for all, right? That if, if this were Sweden, you'd go in, broken arm, they'd fix it. You don't even pay anything, right? I mean, that's, that's what the left is pushing for. What they don't want you to pay attention to is, and, and, and the, this is buried in this piece, is the following. Zuckerberg San Francisco General, which is recently renamed for the Facebook founder after he donated $75 million to it, is the largest public hospital in San Francisco and the city's only top-tier trauma center. But it doesn't participate in the networks of any private health insurers, a surprise patients like Dang learned after assuming their coverage includes a trip to a large public ER. So that's right. You you can get here a 75 you know you get a 75 million dollar grant from Zuckerberg for this big public hospital and the public hospital doesn't take any private insurance. None. This is this is a big hospital, right? Number one, if you get into a terrible car accident in San Francisco and you have to go to a hospital, this is the hospital in terms of care you're going to want to go to, right? This is the only tier 1 trauma center in San Francisco. But it does not matter what health insurance you have, private health insurance, because they won't accept it. Um, this is what's buried in this piece, though. And this really goes to a lot of what is not discussed these days and why, I mean, I can tell you from the last few years, I think I've been to the ER in the last five years, maybe the last 10 years, maybe two times, uh, but both times I got a big dose of this reality. It was the last five years, I'd say two times. Um, quote, most big hospital ERs negotiate prices for care with major health insurance providers and are considered a network. Zuckerberg, San Francisco General, has not done that bargaining with private plans, making them out of network. That leaves many 
uh, many insured patients footing big bills. A spokesperson for the hospital confirmed that Zuckerberg, San Francisco General, does not accept any private health insurance. He said the hospital's focus, here we go, folks, get ready for it, is on serving those with public health coverage, even if that means offsetting those costs with high bills for the privately insured, end quote. This is now the trend, you see. This is the redistribution in action. This is the American health insurance system that you are increasingly going to be forced to live in. Where even when you think you have good health insurance, even when you've taken a job and paid premiums so that you can have high-level health insurance, the social justice view of our health care system is that you will have to pay even into bankruptcy, perhaps, for because of your private insurance, but somebody who is on Medicaid, they will be covered. Their services will be covered. And the money that you pay into a big hospital like Zuckerberg General, isn't it amazing, Zuckerberg General, it's a thing, that's going to be used to offset the care, the expense of the care given to people who are on public health insurance. So you now risk, and look, this is a case study. And Vox, Vox's whole thing is we just need Medicare for all. This is ridiculous. I mean, you know, they take it in a different direction. What I'm telling you is this is the trend now. When the social justice warriors have their way, what it means is you who listen to this, who have insurance, who pay for insurance, you may be in a position where you go somewhere, you're, you're in the ER, and you're paying you know $300 for a, a couple of Tylenol, um, because they don't have a, 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 an agreement with your insurance company. Meanwhile, if you go in there on Medicaid, they'll take Medicaid. And your $300 you're paying for Tylenol is going to subsidize the Medicaid patients. Now, this is what they don't tell you about our healthcare socialist, Demo- Democrat socialist future. It's, and this is also what they don't tell you about Obamacare, is that there are winners and losers. There are some people who get Obamacare coverage for what they pay, pretty good coverage. There are other people who are under the Obamacare system who get just who pay through the nose, who can't afford their premiums because they make too much to get the subsidies. And they, in turn, are personally subsidizing the people who are getting the subsidies. This is just redistribution of wealth. And it's redistribution of wealth uh, at that, 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 you know, they don't tell you about, they're not honest about it. And that the standard of the standard practice, when you go into an ER, one of these places you think is I have health insurance, I'm covered. Well, maybe not, maybe not. You know, you may face a future when the public option is a better option than your private insurance, which is what the Democrats want. They don't want some people to be on the public option. They want everybody to be on the public option. Eventually. They think that's the only way this will be a truly fair system. There will always be the rich who will just pay for it, I would know. You know, Nancy Pelosi is never waiting in a public hospital ER ever her whole life. Her children, her children's children, they will never wait in a public hospital ER. You, when you really need it, you may be waiting in a public hospital's ER, even if you have insurance. And by the way, they may bankrupt you with the bill they send you for what are covered 
services in any ER, but if they don't have a program with your insurance company, a contract, and they want to subsidize all of the people, including illegals, by the way, who are going into ERs and getting care, guess what? Tough for you. That's the reality of the healthcare system we have in practice in some places, not all places and not all the time, but I'm telling you it's a reality that's going to become more widespread. All right, we got to roll into, uh, I got a couple of quick thoughts on, I sound like Michael Scott from The Office. I got some thoughts on comedy. Uh, I got some thoughts on, on the Golden Globes and the opening. It'll just take a moment and then we'll get into a nice extended roll call team. So uh, stay right there. Most people that I know who talk about the Golden Globes only bring it up so that they can talk about how they don't watch the Golden Globes, right? This is the this is the new the new thing with award ceremony season is people will just talk about how much they don't want to watch these uh, awards. And I know, like, I, I agree. They're boring. They're bloated. I don't understand the appeal. But if people want to watch it and they enjoy it, that's their call. And it's just supposed to be entertaining. Who really cares? But occasionally something happens, occasionally something goes on where, you know, I, I think to myself, uh, oh, that that's actually, you know, meaningful in some way. It's not meaningful when Christian Bale in his funky, is it Welsh or Cornish accent he has, uh, says that he was inspired by Satan to play Dick Cheney, which I, I've heard that movie Vice is just awful. Even if, no matter how much you you hate um, Dick Cheney and, and the Republicans, all the rest of it. The, the movie Vice is, is apparently a a steamy trash heap of of garbage. Um, but th- that that said, there was a, a whole exchange, and I had the clip, and I want to play it for you. Although you don't really need to hear it, and also I think the Golden Globes, just like the Oscars, get weird about playing their audio. I think that they, you know, they can be a little. They don't want anyone to just like take some of their audio and use it. But essentially, you had Andy Samberg, who's a really just known for these digital shorts at Saturday Night Live that he did, like, um, what what was it? Uh, something in chain, I forget. Oh, turtleneck and chain, there you go. John, do you, have you ever worn a turtleneck and a chain at the same time? You're, you're, I, I will remind you, you're under oath. No? Anyway, turtleneck and chain is, you have not? All right. I know producer Mike has, uh, but you know the, the turtleneck and chain was one of his things. Anyway, the the way they decided to go at this Golden Globes event is to do this whole thing about oh we're gonna like we're gonna be really edgy we're gonna really make fun of people. These are the two presenters, and they got up there and they said you know Spike Lee, oh man you always do the right thing and your movies are amazing. Oh sick burn, and then they said you know. Uh, some other guy, you know, Brad Pitt, like, you're so handsome, like, ooh, it? it wasn't funny, it wasn't clever, but it really is actually a, a symptom of this larger problem of n- nothing is allowed to be funny anymore. There, there really isn't any comedy worth speaking about, because, at least not in the very mainstream pop culture, because the libs have set up all these rules where you can't say... So now they have to intentionally make bad jokes at places like the Globes that just aren't funny at all and aren't even political commentary. It's just essentially giving up on being funny, and that's where the culture's going. But uh, Roll Call's up next, which is always funny. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. 
It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call time, everybody. You know what that means. I get to hear from all of you, uh, which is always exciting. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. That is, in fact, the, the place to go for all of your Roll Call needs. I saw a headline today that I wanted to track down. I'm trying to see where. I think it was on was on the Drudge Report at one point. It was saying how Americans are now starting to go for station wagons over SUVs. I'm pretty sure I'm not imagining this. And I think this is really exciting because I had in college, a uh, my parents gave it to me. It was a wood-paneled Roadmaster Buick station wagon, the Roadmaster, uh, which had, I think, 75,000 miles on it when I took it up to school. Yes, rich, richer Americans, here you go. This is from Bloomberg. Richer Americans are skipping SUVs for station wagons. Um, that's pretty amazing. I'm sort of uh, interested to see how this is this is changing up here. So the wagon's coming back. And yes, it, as you know, my car in college, we called it the shagging wagon because there was definitely no shagging if you were driving that wagon. Um, I wonder if anyone listening to the show actually has a Roadmaster. I think they're... They're almost like collectibles now because they're very. It's very rare to find one uh, on the road these days because they would have been. They're going on twenty plus years old. All right, roll call. Enough of my my uh, nonsense about station wagons. I just got. I got excited though because wagons are back, and I I have and will always have a fondness for the station wagon. Uh, Paul writes. Uh, if the production team behind the glass stayed later, you could run the same telephone number for the Freedom Hut podcast. Keep up the great job, Shields High. Well, Paul, I'm I'm down to figure out a way to get you know more people in on air, however I can, whenever I can. So whatever we can do to facilitate that, I'm definitely up for. And uh, I, but I cannot, we cannot interfere with producer. Mike or DJ John's social life. So that means exactly DJ John agrees. So that means that we need to uh, make sure that we find a way probably to do it earlier in the day and not later in the day because the show already ends up pretty late. Ron writes, Brazil's new leader wants to ease gun laws. Supporters are ready and training. Uh, Yeah, Ron, I've seen this, that, that Brazil, which has an astronomically high not just crime rate but specifically murder rate uh which is look this is a big problem in latin america now across the board not all latin american countries but a lot of the worst places for uh criminal violence instead of say a, a civil war or an active combat situation but for criminal violence are found in latin america there's a lot of them mexico venezuela brazil i watched a bit of this documentary on uh, who's the McAfee, John McAfee, and how he went down to Belize and built this compound and hired local thugs to be his security guards. I didn't even finish the whole thing, but I, I didn't know that uh, it, it gets really dark. Um, Belize had one of the highest, at least when he was living there, one of the highest murder rates per capita in the world, which I, I did not know. So there, I mean, El Salvador, Honduras, these are places, of, uh, Honduras in particular, very high. Uh, murder rate. I think El Salvador's is still very high. Um, I know Honduras's is very high. So Brazil is is thinking about uh, making it easier for people who are law-abiding to have guns. Now that 
if you have read and believe the thesis of More Guns, Less Crime, written by John Lott, there's a lot of reason to believe that this may be effective. This may actually be what's, uh, you know, at least one way of, of helping the situation. David writes, Buck, shields high. Just listen to Friday's episode on podcast. If you want some good conservative movies, you need to rethink the Dark Knight trilogy. From the billionaire rich kid who actually does care about other people and puts his resources to better than a better use than taxes, to the Marxist class struggle slogan throwing villain in Rises, who is really trying to destroy the community. Love the show. Well, David, uh, love that you love the show, and thank you for writing in. And I have look, I have seen the Dark Knight trilogy dozens of times all the way through. So I can't pretend to, obviously I enjoyed it because I've watched all those movies many times. I think the first one is by far the best. I think Batman Begins is number one out of the trilogy. I think the best single performance is in, uh, what's the second one? Batman, what's the second, uh, John, what's this, what's, thank you. Is that the dark, what's the third one then? The Dark Knight. I think is no, that's right. The Dark Knight, I think, is the second one. I think the Dark Knight Rises is the third one. Anyway, the one with Heath Ledger, rest in peace, that's the best single acting performance in any of them. Obviously, he got a posthumous Oscar for that one. But the the movies don't really hold up. There's a lot of fat on those bones. There's a lot of excess, a lot of stuff you don't need. Um and and so I I could sit here and do a whole segment on and a lot of you would be like, No Buck, I would turn the station. Uh, but I could do a segment on how those, um, you know, those different plot lines don't really hold up and don't really make sense when you apply basic scrutiny to them. And I know people get mad at me for saying this. Yeah, yeah, get mad at me. I know. Uh, speaking of, um, what was I saying about uh, trying it? I, I don't know what. Somehow in my head, I wanted to talk to you about the reverse sear technique that I pulled off. So I'm going to tell you, I'm taking, a, I know a mid roll call. I'm taking a little break from roll call though. So over the weekend, and if you follow me on uh, Twitter or Instagram, you saw this. I don't think I put the video on Facebook. Guys, you all got to follow me on Instagram. I'm doing more and more there these days. That's where, you know, Instagram is where the youth are, are congregating online these days. And youth, I mean, people that are younger than 50. So if you're not, Buck Sexton is my Instagram. It's pretty easy. So uh, you should be following me on Instagram, please. And that way you can comment. I can comment back. If you want to show me your puppy photos, you post them. I'll see them, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but I posted my reverse sear technique. So uh, uh, Miss Molly and I, she was down here and I wanted to cook a, a steak. And I got a steak. And it was like a two-inch two inch thick beast. It was a Fred Flintstone-worthy steak. I mean, the thing was huge. It looked like a brontosaurus side. And and I said you know, I said if, if I try to just sear this thing on the cast iron, what ends up happening is that you're going to have to overcook the outsides of it to get deep enough into the middle to cook it through, and then you're missing out on a lot of the tender juiciness of what was a very expensive cut of meat. Uh, someone also asked me on face on Facebook on a, a direct message if I think that um, Kobe beef is worth it, and if I oh if I've ever had it. And I responded, no, I have had it, and I do not think it is worth it. Um, I think a really good, uh, a really good dry-aged all-American steak is the single best, best kind you can get. But the reverse sear is essentially you put it in the oven. You obviously salt it, prep it, but you put it salt, pepper, all that stuff. But you put it in the oven, and you cook it through, 
until it's about 10, 15 degrees internal temperature shy of where you really want the steak to be. So for medium rare, if you're a perfectionist, I think that's a 135, maybe 140. So I, I basically took the temperature internally to 120. It takes a little while and you got to kind of hover over it. But then you pull it out and you just get that cast iron just steaming hot. And then you sear both sides of that steak and you get that that dark brown caramelization crust going on on the outsides of the steak. And then maybe give it a couple more shakes of salt and pepper if you want. Do a little basting if you're into that with some herbs. I like to use thyme, but a little butter, a little basting technique. And Ms. I mean, Ms. Molly was super impressed. The steak was amazing. The reverse sear technique saved it. Because certain steaks, you just they're too thick. And everyone keeps saying... Cook it sous vide style. I don't have the patience. That sounds like it takes too long. Even if it's per, I mean, I can cook it perfectly my way. So why would I want to cook it sous vide style? I'm going to cook it in water really slowly. People say, I got a lot of messages about that. They're saying, oh, you got to cook it sous vide style. Maybe, maybe, but I just haven't, haven't gotten around to that yet. Mike writes, Buck, perhaps a recorder, a reporter rather may already be doing this. But having a news report determining whether the leading Democrats' homes are either in gated communities or have walls or fences, nothing says hypocrisy more than these shameful politicians saying walls don't work when their own dwellings are behind walls, shields high from Mike. Uh, Mike, in fact, it's funny you bring this up. I just saw my friend today, Mr. Benny Johnson of The Daily Caller, and he is doing a project where he is compiling photographic evidence of the uh, homes of prominent figures and celebrities uh, that have big fences, uh, gates around them. Uh, you know, and these are people who everybody knows. You know, everybody knows where the Obama compound is in D.C., for example, because it's huge and he's got Secret Service protection. And it's not, you know, this is not like posting someone's address to dox them. This is everybody knows where these where these uh, individuals live. These are very prominent, very well, usually secured and defended individuals. Um but yeah, it's an interesting idea. I mean, they'll they'll say, of course, that a, a home's wall is different than a border wall, blah, blah. But no, I think you're right in principle. Uh, here we go. Michael writes, dude, you're getting close to 40. I'm sure it's occurred to you that it's getting late in the day to have kids. By the time they get to college, you'll be old enough to be their grandfather. I didn't get married until I was 29. First kid, 31. I couldn't imagine I've been married in my early 20s, something like that. But you can't argue the biology or the math. We're putting off marriage and kids later and later and having fewer and fewer kids. Europe and Japan are already in a demographic death spiral. Could be next. Anyway, I hope you had some good company for your birthday. Oh, thanks, Michael. I did have great company for my birthday. Miss Molly was with me. And yes, I know I'm getting closer to 40 and it is getting to be go time. So I understand the biology involved here and I would very much like to have kids. You know, one thing I will tell you, though, in all honesty, this this path that I'm on of doing media uh, and especially trying to make a make a real go of it in a meaningful way in the current climate the current environment uh, it's very hard it's very hard to do especially someone like me who has to be constantly on the hustle doing different media jobs you know it'd be one thing if I was set up at a big network and I was going to try to stay there for 20 years I I, I don't have that uh, that luxury so it's a, it's a tough thing because, you know, with kids, you don't want to uproot them and you got to keep the wife happy. But, but Michael, you're right, as usual. Michael's, uh, Michael's one of my salty dog advisors on Facebook. Uh, you're, you're even more right, by the way, about how this is affecting 
America uh, and and what it means for the West. We're just not having enough kids. And I actually blame at some I mean, I blame socialism for it because I, I think that what, what ends up happening is people in their prime earning years are being taxed too heavily. And this is just my theory. And I don't care what anybody says. I know it's true. And I'm just I just know this experientially. Younger people, uh, people in their 30s, you know, in their in their late 20s. They're having a harder time getting to the housing market. Housing market. They're having a harder time saving up any money and creating any financial security. And so, if you don't want your kids to be on, you know, the children's health insurance program chip, even if you don't want state benefits and and federal welfare necessary to help support your household, you put off kids in a lot of cases in a lot of places, uh, especially in, in major urban centers, because you want to have the financial wherewithal to support them and. It's getting harder and harder to do. In fact, I know in, in New York, I had friends who joke around about how the, the real conspicuous consumption, you know, it used to be conspicuous consumption was look at my Rolex, you know, look at my Ferrari. Now, if you live in New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, uh, Chicago, the real conspicuous consumption is, you know, look at my four or five kids. Uh, so that's, that's the way things have, you know, assuming that you are supporting them entirely on your own. That's the way that things, that's the way that things go. So uh, anyway, uh, that's that's going to be it for uh, for today, team. Thanks so much for joining me here in, I got a little, I drifted off there for a second into thinking about other things. Uh, going to be with you tomorrow, obviously, every day this week. Please do check out, we're going to have new uh, a new exciting logo up, or at least a new logo, I don't know if it's exciting, for the podcast of the show. So it's going to be a great time to share the Buck Sexton Podcast with a friend. We're hoping to really blow up those numbers this year. Talk to you all tomorrow, team. Shields high. Probably heard of uh, AARP, or maybe you know somebody who's already a member. But did you know that the AARP is uh, pretty left-wing? And they lobby for progressive causes, and they're all about pushing for a government-run healthcare system. That's why I recommend AMAC. Why AMAC? Well, it was founded by an Air Force veteran, over a decade ago to represent not only conservative views, but good policy for America. AMAC advocates for border protection, fixing Social Security, and is all about conservative ideas and ideology, all right? Stand with AMAC as they fight the good fight by becoming a member today. The benefits are great, but the cause is even greater. Tell your family and your friends, all right? You get all the benefits of AARP, but none of the liberal nonsense. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. Again, that's amac.us slash buck. AMAC is better. Better for you, better for America.